Praise the Lord. Well, grateful to be back here this morning at Walk Church. Uh, the, the past uh, week, I've been traveling a little bit. We got a chance to have an awesome mission trip to Portland, Oregon. You guys are going to hear more about that here uh, pretty soon, but Shortly after that, I was in Pennsylvania speaking at an FCA sports camp uh, to over 500 high school students, college students, and coaches around the country. And that was such a sweet time to represent our city, to represent our church, and to represent the gospel. And it was so neat to be able to answer questions like, so what hotel do you live in? And, you know... Uh, you know, I'm like, what? What? You need to come out to our city and see what God is doing in Vegas. Um, and I know that we've been in this series, and Pastor Dean brought a good word last week. Let's go ahead and jump right in uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. This is our series titled, We Are One. We are one. Ephesians chapter 2. The second half of this chapter has been awesome as we've pressed through it, walked through it verse by verse. And there's been a total of 14 sermons in this second chapter alone. If you want to get caught up at all, you can visit walkchurch.com. Go ahead and hit the little sermon archive. Uh, but this morning, finally, we're going to go ahead and finish up this uh, chapter by looking at the last three verses primarily in it. So I want to invite you now to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19. We're going to work all the way through 22 and go from there. So if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. What do we do before we eat? You guys got it. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord one more time. Father, speak to us now through your word. You're welcome here, Lord. God, we want to know you better through your word this morning. So God, we ask you to teach us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. God, don't let this just be a random Sunday. Let this be a game changer in our lives. I don't know where you're at in the room today. Maybe this is your first time praying in a long time. Just know that God hears you. He knows you. Speak to him now. Ask him to teach you today. Father, teach me even as I preach. Thank you for this We Are One series. Bless the word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So then... The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20 is where we're going to land today. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And finally, verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. By the Spirit. We're going to look at verse 20 all the way through 22. The title of my message this morning, simply put, is the foundation is deep. The foundation is deep. Maybe you're not quite sure what I mean by the foundation is deep. Let me give you a picture of what I mean the foundation is deep. I don't know about you, but every time I drive down Las Vegas Boulevard, I can't help but glance to the left and see the uh, home of the Las Vegas Raiders uh, up and coming. Can I get an amen from somebody? We got like two Raiders fans here. I'm with y'all. And uh, so you just got to adopt them, all right? Come on, don't be prideful here at church. You got to rep our city team. Um, and you'll see it kind of look like this. I'll give you guys just a uh, more over-the-top version, um, which looks 
more like this. It kind of looks like a, a meteor just landed in Las Vegas and uh, a big old open circle there. But one day it's going to look like this. Come on, somebody. Hey, <laughs> prophetic word here at church. Um, and I'm excited for, for that moment and going to be, uh, it's going to be just awesome. This is the greatest time in the history of our city to be a sports fan and I think to be a Jesus follower. Um, God is sending the nations to our city. Our city's back on the radar for one of the top fastest growing cities in America. And um, it's just really exciting to see just the diversity in our city. And God is doing that intentionally. What a cool moment it is to have a life-giving church right in the middle of all that activity. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things I realized as I was looking at that space is like, man, the, the foundation of that is deep. Like, why do they have to dig so deep in order to build this $2 billion stadium? Well, the reality is they have to build it that deep because they want it to be that strong. So the deeper the foundation, the more the building will last. The deeper the foundation, the stronger the building can actually be. Sometimes it'll take years just to dig the foundation before the building can even start being built. And I love the church is a church that is built on a deep, deep foundation. Let's go ahead and look at verse 20 on the screen here. The text says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Let, let's first talk about this word apostles is the first uh, building block that it says that the, the church is being built upon in this text, built upon the foundation of the apostles. John MacArthur writes well on the apostles and he says it like this. He says, they were given three basic responsibilities. One, to lay the foundation of the church. Amen. Two, to receive and declare and write God's word. And three, to give confirmation of that word through signs, wonders, and miracles. The apostles were men that had walked alongside Jesus and had a direct encounter with him. Uh, the apostles were people that had had an encounter with Christ. So it says that he called his first 12 apostles. So the first 12 were the original 12 disciples made apostles. The word by definition means sent out one. So you have these 12 Men, you guys know some of them as Peter, James, John. I love the guys that get left out, Bartholomew and Thaddeus. Um, they don't usually get a mention, but you have these all-star disciples known as apostles, and then one dropped the ball and really punked out. His name was Judas, and they had to replace him with a guy by the name of Matthias in the book of Acts chapter one. So we got our 12 apostles. Some scholars would debate that there's more apostles than that. Um, some would go as far as to say there was up to 20, 25 apostles in the New Testament. I believe that there was a total of 13 um, core apostles that you can find in the New Testament. Now there's argument for more and that's fine. It's a secondary issue. The 13th would be a guy by the name of the apostle Paul who writes this letter to the Ephesian church as well. Paul had to argue for his apostleship. But Paul basically says, hey, look, I remember I was on this road to Damascus. All of a sudden, Jesus knocked me down, appeared to me, spoke to me, called me to the ministry, and I've never been the same since. So therefore, I'm an apostle, all right? So we give Paul the title of apostle as well. Um, but the text here tells us that our faith, our Christian faith, 
is not just based off of one man's um, words or one man's life, right? Primarily, right, it's not just somebody saying, hey, I did this, I did that, now you need to believe it. But the apostles have written to us and have spoken to us and have laid down their own foundation and said, the things that Jesus did and said are true. I love the apostle Peter, who writes in his book, First and Second Peter, and would encourage you to go read these at some point. In Second Peter, it's just a couple of chapters. It's a really small book. He says, hey, we didn't come to you with clever myths. We didn't make stuff up just to make stuff up. People are getting killed out here for this. Peter says, but I was there. I, I was there. I walked with Jesus, literally on the water. I was there. See, our foundation doesn't just go back to, you know, he say, she say stuff. The apostles wrote stuff down for us to say, hey, you know what? This is actually validated. Not just in our Christian faith, but uh, uh, scholars across the world. Um, this, this is also a history book, not just a supernatural God book, while it's that as well. But historical scholars around the world say, hey, we have the most copies from 2,000 plus years ago of ancient history uh, than any other manuscript on planet Earth. And whose copies are these? These are the apostles' words. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that the, the church would gather together and they would devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles. So I want to go ahead and start by saying, hey, the apostles have went before us. These are people that were sent out by Christ, the, the, the disciples. And I think it's just so neat that God preserved their writings and their teachings. And we're learning from them even today here at church. Amen. We're learning from the apostle Paul as he wrote to the Ephesian church. And we get to dig into that as well. But not just the apostles. It says that built on the foundation of the apostles and say that word with me, the prophets, the prophets. Now, prophets, that, that, that's kind of like a buzzword in the faith. Um, there's a lot of different definitions as to what a prophet is. I want to give you mine, all right? This is what I wrote down and thought, you know, what is a biblical prophet? Prophets were men and women in the Bible, historical, real people. These aren't just characters that we're talking about. They, they don't just go up on a kid's ministry painting in a, in a, in a room, right? This are, these are real people, you guys. We'll see them one day in heaven, right? Prophets were men and women in the Bible, historical real people who received divinely inspired revelation from God himself and then spoke on his behalf. So the apostles walked with Jesus and recorded it. The, the prophets had went before them, and there were New Testament prophets as well, but the prophets had received wisdom and inspiration and revelation from God. That's why you can say things like this in the Bible, at least they could. They would say, and thus say the Lord, or King James, thus saith the Lord, right? And, and in doing so, they're speaking on God's behalf. They were living prophets, and so our foundation goes back to even the prophets before us who had predicted and spoke on God's behalf that one day God himself would send his son in the form of a baby. He would be born in Bethlehem and he would grow up in wisdom and strength and then he would die on a cross for all of our sins and then he would rise from the grave. All that was prophesied. I love how Brother Rick said it. Some scholars believe there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament alone that are pointing to this coming Savior, pointing to this reality that one day Jesus would come and he would set us free. 
A couple prophecies that we see in the Old Testament. One comes from the prophet David. So David was not just a king in the Old Testament. He was also a prophet. Some of his prophecies are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. That was the joke. No one got it. <laughs> Psalms. I don't know where that P sound comes from, why it's there, but um, Psalms. Okay. The, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, says King David. And this would actually be a prophetic word that Jesus, 500 plus years later, while he's teaching his disciples, he would draw upon and said, didn't you guys read the Psalms? Don't you guys remember when David said the stone that the builders rejected would become the cornerstone? Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone. Didn't you read about that? That was a prophetic word. Isaiah was a prophet. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Isaiah prophesied these words. He said, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. He's prophesying. He's giving a word from the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Here's two prophetic words given at two different time frames recorded for us in the Bible that we can come from and learn from here today. See, David and the prophet Isaiah didn't live at the same time. They didn't even know each other, right? But yet they're prophesying in unity. And here we are looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's look back at our verse here. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles, the sent out ones by Jesus himself, those who had direct encounters, and the prophets, those who had divine inspiration, who spoke on behalf of God. And now the third, which is way more important than the previous two, is Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself. The reason why I feel like our, our faith is built upon a foundation that's deep, right? It's not just wide and an inch deep. It's super deep and super wide. The faith that we believe in, in in Christ as brothers and sisters in the faith is built upon a foundation that lasts. You could do a survey of all the other world religions and many of them would say, hey, this person claimed this. Nobody was around them, but they just say it's true, so I guess we should believe it. Our faith goes back thousands of years before Jesus ever came. People were, were saying, hey, God said, it, God said it to Adam in, in the book of Genesis chapter 3. One day, there's going to be a seed that comes from a woman, and she's going to crush the serpent's head. And he's going to crush the serpent's head, excuse me, right? And then God made a promise to Abraham shortly after that and said, the nations are going to come from you, and there's going to be a promise on the nations. And this promise held up, and, and there was moments of Jesus showing up all throughout the Old Testament, all the way making its way to the book of Matthew. When I was in Israel, I was part of a congregation where we studied the Bible and there was less of a break in between the Old and the New Testament. It was just one story. It wasn't the Old and the New Testament. It was just the story of God, right? See, we shouldn't make a break and just say, okay, Matthew, that's all the Christian stuff. Matthew is as Jewish of a book as there is. Matthew himself was Jewish, right? And he says, I'm part of the one that's waiting for the Messiah. 
And one day, you can read all the genealogy. It goes all the way back to Adam. And one day, just like it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, in Isaiah chapter 9, a young lady named Mary, who was this young Jewish woman who was a virgin, was ministered to by an angel and was said that she would give birth to the Son of God. Merry Christmas, everybody, right? And he would grow up and live the life that you and I couldn't live. See, some people believe the lie that God's standard isn't perfection. When it is. God has called us all to live perfect. Yet, in his divine sovereign grace, he knew we can't. He knew we wouldn't. So, he provided what we couldn't do, right? God demands perfection, but praise God that God sends perfection. Amen? Right? So, God demands righteous living, and God provides for what he demands in the form of his son. That's why we get excited on December 25th that God sent a savior to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. That's why we get fired up on Easter time because our savior didn't just die on the cross. He rose from the grave and now he's the cornerstone upon which our lives are built around. And again, I love what my brother Rick said. Today could be the day that you believe and receive him as the cornerstone of your life. I would stop building on your own foundation because your own foundation won't last but build upon a foundation that's deeper than you, that goes back to the apostles, back to the prophets, all the way to the cornerstone of that foundation, which is Christ Jesus himself. Now, maybe you're like me, and the word cornerstone doesn't necessarily uh, contextualize to your everyday life. I don't know what, I don't use the phrase cornerstone in my daily living, so I had to do a a study of what the word cornerstone actually means. Uh, ESV study Bible says it like this. It was the critical stone in the corner of the foundation that ensures that a stone building is square and stable. I love that. The critical stone. See, there's a whole lot of stones in a building, right? You could just, you know, you don't got to do it right now, but I'm just, I'm looking at the back of this cafeteria. I'm seeing all types of stones everywhere. There's stones all over the place, but there's a critical stone that lays and holds them all together, that ensures that the stone building is square and stable. Dictionary.com defines the phrase cornerstone as a stone uniting two masonry walls at an intersection. Here's why that's important. If you've been journeying with us through Ephesians chapter two, you'll remember that there was a whole lot of hostility in the land at the time. What do I mean by that? Well, there was two different people groups. There was the Gentiles, those who were set apart and uh, not able to worship the Lord like the Jews were able to. And then there were the God's chosen people, the Jews. And there was hostility between the two. Great hostility. As much hostility as there could be. This was way before Crips and Bloods, all right? This was the most divide you could have. You couldn't cross that line. If you were a Gentile, you couldn't cross that line into the Jewish territory. And the Jews couldn't cross that line into the Gentile territory because they would be considered unclean. And God says, you know what? I'm going to bring them both together. And here's what that's going to look like. It's going to look like we being one. And so Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece, this new creation that has become one new body, one new building, one new temple, which Jews and Gentiles, black people, white people, Hispanic people, all types of different people come together 
And we come together uh, under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's our cornerstone. I believe that this picture of the temple of God today is multicolorful and, and, and multifaceted. I wanted to just give you a picture of what this cornerstone could potentially look like, right? So I was Googling cornerstones. Here's just a picture of it. Oftentimes it would have a date with a logo, and this would be the first stone placed down on a building, and you would build from there. I'll give you a picture of another one, right? This one right here, it says, erected by or iron company in this date founded by this name right here. I believe the church would say, hey, erected by God himself at the beginning of creation, founded by the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then all those stones right there is me and you. We're, we're built upon this cornerstone. I, I, I'm grateful to be a part of the building. Amen, I hope you are too. And if you're not, you can be. There, and if you're not, there's probably some gaps in the wall, and it's time, if you're OCD, you want to fill those in, right? You're like, man, get to know the Lord so we can, like, complete the picture. I'm trying to complete this building, because when the building's complete, Jesus is coming back. Come on, somebody. I, 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 it, 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 this is the cornerstone. Christ, Christ is the cornerstone. Our foundation is deep. The apostles and prophets said, hey, the cornerstone's coming. You heard it from David. David said, the cornerstone's coming. Don't reject him. Don't, don't, don't reject him. And then Isaiah came later and said, the cornerstone's coming. Don't reject him. And maybe your story here today is you need to realize that Christ is the cornerstone. Verse 21 continues, and it says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The, the whole structure, the whole structure of this body, the whole structure of this building. Remember the temple was a significant item in the old covenant, right? And you can go see, uh, you can go to Israel today and you could see um, different monuments and marks of the old Herod's temple. You can see where it was built, where it was founded, where it used to function. The temple was everything back in the day, right? People would show up at the temple to try to get a, a piece of God. Now, now, people knew that God was not confined to the temple, but God chose to have his presence dwell in the temple. And so only the holiest of high priests could approach the temple. But now... The text tells us that there's a new temple. And it looks a lot like me and you. If you want to go to the temple, go to church. And you can see the temple right before you in whom the whole structure, the whole structure of this temple, the blueprint of the, 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 the temple, the new temple, is us. Is the, the, the church of the living God. God wanted to unite Jews and Gentiles and bring them together for one beautiful picture of the gospel where, where everybody's invited, where everybody's included, where it's not an exclusive gospel, it's an inclusive gospel. You're included today. You may look different, sound different, feel different, smell different, it doesn't matter. You're included in this reality that Jesus Christ loved you enough to die for you, to rise for you, and then even to call you today, on July 1st, 2018, to himself. And sometimes I just need to be reminded that I'm a stone in the body, in the temple.
And that's a good thing in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I, I'm realizing what this looks like more and more. Um, I got a picture of it recently, a couple weeks ago, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was uh, attending the Southern Baptist Convention, which is uh, the denomination that our church affiliates with, and part of the SBC um, is a ministry called the IMB. I know that I'm giving you a lot of acronyms. The IMB stands for the International Mission Board. And so the denomination we partner with actually sends more missionaries globally than any other missions organization in our world, all right? And that's something to clap for. That is really cool because we support the IMB. And so while I was there, I was walking through this huge exhibitor hallway, and I noticed they had this big, huge IMB layout where they were talking about all these different stories of people that are going global and using their life on mission. And, I, and there was this lady who said, hey, let's, let me take your picture so we can put it on the wall and you'll get a free t-shirt, right? And that's always like the kicker, right? We'll get you a free shirt. The shirt looked cool enough, so I was like, all right, you can take my picture. Hey, right? And, and at this time, this wall, you, you couldn't necessarily, it was just a bunch of little pictures. And she said, all right, you're gonna place your picture on B42. And so I'm like surveying this huge wall and I finally found uh, B42, and I put my picture there, and there was gaps all over it. This was the first day of the convention, and I was like, man, I don't know what is even happening here. I don't know what this is doing. This was kind of weird, but I got my free shirt, and hopefully I'll understand one day. By the time I left, this is what was happening. I'll show you the, the final picture, right? And so it was a picture. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I was like, oh, wow, and you know, my picture is like right there, um, I don't know if that one was it or not, but uh, just, to, just to catch the point, right? We are all, as believers in Christ, we are all little pictures, little stones on this beautiful building that is demonstrating a picture of Jesus, right? The, the mural is Christ himself. See, in here, this, they just wanted to represent the nations. They wanted to represent that God is a global God, that he's on the move, and I, I sat next to a guy on the plane uh, coming back from Pennsylvania the other day. He was talking to me about what God's doing in China right now. God is on the move globally, right? Our country's behind, <laughs> to be honest. We, we live in one of the fourth most lost continents and nations in the world. We need to catch up here in America. And we got all the theology, all the Bibles, all the resources ever, and yet we're so far behind because we're so distracted by things that don't even matter. Which is, which is convicting. But the reality is, we're all part of this beautiful temple, this beautiful picture, this robust picture of Christ himself, and we make that picture up. And I just wanna remind you and encourage you that it's in him that we find our foundation and our cornerstone. Verse 22, and we'll get ready to close. Verse 22 says it like this. In him, you also, you also. Look at the person next to you and say, you also. Sometimes we tend to think that the message isn't for me. We're like sitting there thinking, yeah, this is a good message for somebody. But the message is for you also. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That the Spirit of God no longer dwells in buildings. He dwells in people. Did you hear me? Did you catch that? The, the, the spirit of the living God, 
There's no spirit of a dead God that's dead. But the spirit of the living God, he, he no longer dwells in buildings, right? Some, is this a school or is this a church building? It doesn't really matter. It, it depends on who shows up. If the church is here, it's a church building, right? The spirit, we, the, the, I love, last week when we were at Remedy City, they met in the, the Regal movie theater. You bring the church into the theater. It's where the people are. Where the people are, the people of God are, where, where, the pe- where the people of God is, the Spirit of God is, right? And where the Spirit of God is, that's all you need. And he's growing this body of believers into this beautiful temple, this beautiful picture that will go all the way into eternity. And it's a privilege to just be a stone in the building. And First Peter tells us that we're not dead stones, but we're living stones. As we close here, um, how does this, what does this have to do with you and I? Like what, what, what's the application point uh, for Ephesians chapter two, this we are one? Uh, I think the application for us, if I could just sum up this chapter, because we're gonna, this will be our last weekend in chapter two, and then we're gonna press on, amen? We're gonna go right into chapter three, and there's a new theme for us. But the primary application that I would love for you to see is that what we're talking about is not just theory, but it's reality. If you truly believe that we are one, live like it. I I heard this illustration and I thought it was powerful from Brother Tony Morita. He said, there's too many Christians that wanna be stones but don't wanna be in the building. Did anybody catch that? There's too many people that want to be sons and daughters, but just not a part of the family. There's too many people that, I want to wear the jersey. I just don't want to be on the team. And the reality is, what good is a stone if it's not placed in the building? Why would you want to say, I want the title of a son or daughter. I just don't want to be around any other family. And that's what so often people do in church. They say, you know what, hey, I, I, I want to, you know, I want all the benefits of the gospel. You hear people say it, don't you? Oh, I love Jesus. I just don't do the church thing. So basically, you're a stone outside of the body. The purpose of Ephesians 2, the purpose of what Paul was trying to get at was, he was trying to get us to say, we're one. Don't separate yourself from the body if you're part of the body. Like, would it be kind of weird if like my arms started like crawling off the stage right now? That's what some of us do though. And you would say arm, you would, you would do so much better if you were like attached to the shoulder. And I wanna encourage you and say, hey, church family, church brother, brother, sister in Christ, if you're not a part of the body, whether it's this body at Walk Church or another one, get a part of the body. It's good to have a covering. It's good to be known. It's good to go through a struggle and have somebody on the other side praying for you. It's good to go out on mission and rub shoulders with brothers and sisters, not just here in Vegas, but cross-culturally as well. It's good to say, hey, you know what? FCA is doing a cool ministry. I'm going to help with that. I'm going to go down to the Women's Resource Center and serve with them. I'm going to go volunteer at the Las Vegas Rescue Mission and serve with them. I'm going to ask you, how can, how can I pray for you? I'm going to invite you to my house and not complain that I never get invited to your house. Right? 
What if you did that? What if you did that? That would look like living stones. And, 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 and though that person on the other side of the walk church aisle looks different than me, talks different than me, I'm actually going to talk to them. And I'm going to invite them into my life. And I know that can be, get uncomfortable, but it had to be uncomfortable when Jesus was on the cross. It had to be. Nail-pierced hands, nails in his feet, blood all over him, crown of thorns on his head. These were those big thorns as he was mocked. And in doing so, he's looking at the church and he's saying, I'm the cornerstone. This is what it took to become the cornerstone. Friend, if you don't know Jesus today, I would encourage you to get to know him and become a part of this body of faith. We, we are one.